The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Did you hear that? I just said Yanni. Or was it Laurel? It's Wednesday, May 16th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. We've had Michael Malice on a few times. He's the author of Dear Reader, the unauthorized autobiography of uh, Kim Jong-il. He's a podcast host of You're Welcome and really a a fascinating guy on all things North Korea. We wanted to have him on today uh, just to to give us an idea of what he thinks is going on with North Korea and the latest of, well, I'm going to pull out of these talks. Welcome to the program, Michael Malice. Thanks so much, Glenn. So, Michael, what is your take on what the news of the day? Well, my take is uh, it's just shocking to me how the media often gets played by North Korea. You remember a few weeks ago um, that everyone's ready to hand out the Nobel Peace Prize uh, to Trump or the South Korean President Moon. And I said, wait a minute, uh, this is like Hillary right before the election when she tweeted out, uh, happy birthday to this future president. These people are manipulative. They're deceptive. And what people need to understand about North Korea is they've outlasted the entire Soviet bloc. That's not an accident. They're very, very bright and they're very, very conniving. So if before a meeting, if you know, me and you, Glenn, were having some negotiation, you want to sell me your car. And before we even sat down, you're like, I'll give you this. I'll give you free air conditioning for this, this and that. Right away, you know, I'd be suspicious. What is going on here? So before the meeting, they were giving up nukes. They were saying we can withdraw from the South Korean um, uh, from South Korea, our troops, uh, they're going to give him this, they're going to give him that. It's like, even if they were willing to give up all these things, why wouldn't they do that at the close of the meeting rather than up front? And we see here um, exactly what they're doing, which was a very successful effort to uh, humiliate us on the world stage, even if it's just a short-term thing to flex their muscles, so to speak. Did they lure us essentially into being too eager to solve this problem? Well, Uh, I don't think we are too eager. I don't think we can be eager enough. I think this is the biggest problem on the world stage. North Korea is the worst country on earth. I I was on Fox and Friends and I made the point, look, we we got out three hostages. There's 25 million more, which is the North Korean people. Um, So, and, and, and the thing is, they canceled their meeting with South Korea today over these uh, war exercises. These have been an annual event uh, since the 70s, at least. They've complained about them before, but it would be as if, you know, uh, I called you up on October 30th and said to you, Glenn, I'm upset you're having a Halloween party tomorrow. The meeting's off. It's like, you knew this was coming. So this is disingenuous. And we also know it's disingenuous for the following reason. Uh, it's, it was all announced publicly. So if they were really upset about these things, they could have very easily behind closed doors said, look, you know, we're having second thoughts. We need these changes before the meeting. You know, you guys can make any excuses you want publicly, but this is something we need before we get to the table. That's not what they did. They just sent out their, you know, they just made their announcements declaratively. And then you saw yesterday the State Department was scrambling, saying we haven't heard anything from them at all. So this is very much, you know, a public show of strategy and, and them asserting their, their place uh, in the negotiations. So, so do you think the negotiations are going to be on? Or is this going to happen or, or not? A uh, gun to my head, I would say yes. Um, because there's been a lot of momentum. Um, I think this, they, they didn't say they're pulling out. They're playing coy. They canceled the meeting with South Korea as a way of showing we mean business. 
But they wouldn't have got the fact that all this was announced publicly that he's going to be with President Trump. Surely behind the scenes, there were so much discussion to get us to that point. So I don't think it's all a bluff. Now, what could be a bluff is what they agree to do as a consequence of this meeting. Uh, but certainly North Korea and Kim Jong-un love the adulation they're having on the world stage. Mm-hmm. You know, the visuals that they have him crossing the DMZ, and he's this sweet kid, you know, even though he murdered members of his own family, but we're not going to talk about that now. Um, so that is something that works in their favor. So I think it would be a, a big coup if they had the meeting. And as a result of the meeting, they really aren't tied to having to do anything, even if they technically agree to it. Michael, I'm interested to because we've talked about the sort of tough approach of of Trump and the administration and how that's yeah. been effective, maybe in in, yeah. in communicating to them. And and I've seen that because from our perspective, that's what's happened, right? Like we've talked tough, yes. we've held them to account, and they've actually come to the table. From their perspective, could you argue, hey, we we because uh, they were doing these tests when we were talking tough. Now sure. we're reaching out. And they've accepted us and are allowing the president from this world, you know, supposed world leader come to our territory and beg us to make peace. Yeah. So, I mean, we have to keep in mind last November or December. Remember those days? We were so much younger then. They (laughs) sentenced President Trump to death. Uh, So, you know, they are and they were going to nuke Guam. Uh, these people have no problem just saying outrageous things. And, and, and the fact that President Trump responded in kind has clearly forced a change in their behavior. I see a lot of Twitter people are so desperate to attack the president. It's like, look, you know, under Obama, nothing really changed in North Korea. And I just want to make one more point. I was very, very saddened that after these three hostages were released, which is a great day for all Americans. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just a, a wonderful thing. Uh, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden. Uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, none of them mentioned it in their Amazing. Twitter. I checked I that afternoon and I couldn't even wrap my head around it. They could very easily take a dig at the Trump or just say, hey, or you know what? Co-opt it. Meet with the meet with the hostages and make it your thing. So the fact that this is being made into a partisan issue uh, is really disturbing to me. Yeah, because I mean, even if nothing comes of these talks, the three hostages are—that's yeah. a big deal. So one of the best, yeah. one of the best explanations on what's really happening that I have heard, um, it was from Bill O'Reilly, and and I said because I was a believer in, and I still kind of am, that it is Donald Trump speaking the language that a dictator understands. Dictator yeah. understands strength and being shoved back against the wall. And yeah. that's the guy with a twitchy eye. And they've never seen an American president do that. And they didn't know how to handle it. And they thought, okay, all right, maybe this guy is different. We got to handle him differently. Um, but Bill said that he felt that the tweets and the positioning had very little to do with it. Instead, he said it was Trump's trade war with China. And then going to China and saying, I'm going to do these things unless you get the short little guy uh, under control and you take care of it. And it was it was after the meeting with China, he believes, where they called him on the carpet and said, look, knock it off. Do you believe do you believe that's true? Uh, I, I I said from the beginning of the Trump administration, uh, when he met with the Chinese president at Mar-a-Lago, they're doing a good cop, bad cop, which is Trump is the foaming at the mouth, 
crazy person. No one knows what to make of him. Look at him. He's saying I have a nuclear button on my desk. And then China gets to be the good guys. And it's always going to be more of China's problem than ours simply because of geography. And then China gets to say, hey, do you want to deal with him? Because no one knows what to make of him or you don't want to deal with us. We're your big brother. So I think this was a pincer movement going in both directions, and I don't think it's a contradiction between those two positions. It's not one thing. There's clearly several factors that are forcing them to alter their behavior in such extreme ways. I mean, again, this is the first North Korean leader to ever go to South Korea, to have his sister go to the Olympics and engage with the outside world, contradicts decades of North Korean ideology. Is, is, is uh, North Korea looking for us to come over there and accept them and welcome them as a nuclear power, uh, as we have with Pakistan, or are they expecting us to demand that they remove all those weapons uh, and give us all of their technology or dismantle all of that technology? Which which are they really, what are they going to do, do you think? Well, it, it was, they made a very shrewd point last night into this morning, which is, if you are going to insist on unilateral denuclearization, that's not uh, fair or whatever term they used. And in a certain sense, there is a validity to it. That said, you know, North Korea was on the state sponsors of terrorism list for blowing up a South Korean jet. They have concentration camps. They oppress uh, their people. They sell their military technology worldwide. So it's not even like Pakistan because there's a possibility of uh, nuclear proliferation through their technology. And that's why it's a, a concern. So they are they are going to demand. And why wouldn't they demand the world? Because they're in their corner. They're sitting pretty. Uh, at the same time, I, I don't think President Trump or most people in the administration would have any problem getting up and walking away from the summit. I don't think he needs, I mean, the classic example, which everyone the right uses fairly, is Reagan at Reykjavik, where, you know, they had these negotiations with Gorbachev, you know, they're agreeing to everything. And at the very end, Gorbachev very shrewdly says, well, you know, this all depends on you giving up uh, SDI, Star Wars. And Reagan blew his top and walked, and as a consequence of that, he ended up uh, taking the steps that led to the end of the Cold War. So I, I know there's a lot of people in the uh, administration who are very familiar with that scenario. And here's the other point that I think this is Trump's greatest strength. If you're working with New York and international real estate for decades, you know all the negotiating shenanigans and dealing with the bad actors. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is his exact forte. He know, I mean, I'm from New York, so I know what these people are like. It's, it's not a, a fair and nice handshake stuff. It's really, uh, you know, check but verify, as Reagan yeah. and Gorbachev said. It's, cr- it's, it's cutthroat stuff. 30 seconds, yeah. Michael. One more quick question. Uh, is that what you expect to happen? Um, which is, because uh, that's kind of what I expect, Michael. To, they're going to start these negotiations. North Korea is going to make some sort of uh, demand that is completely untenable to us, and we walk. Is that what you expect? Uh, no, because I, I, I don't know because it depends on what China has been telling them and forcing them. This is the secret that we are not privy to, nor should we be privy to. Okay. There we go. Michael Malice, thank you so much. He's the author of a great book called Dear Reader, the unauthorized autobiography of Kim Jong-il and his podcast is uh, your welcome. You can find him <laughs> on uh, Twitter at Michael Malice. Thanks, Michael. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network.